Well, I said I'm 30, and here I am with a magnifying glass. Actually, this is a prop. Because I don't know if you ever noticed a magnifying glass, but a magnifying glass is interesting. It's a clear piece of glass. It's thicker in the center, and it's narrower or thinner on the outsides. And, and what you can do with this, obviously, is a couple of things. One is that you can actually magnify text so you can see you can see what you're reading, the fine print, a little bit better. But for others, well, you can find more creative uses for magnifying glasses. In fact, if you go all the way back to the earliest written record that mentions something like a magnifying glass, it's back in 423 B.C. So it was a long time ago. And the purpose of this magnifying glass, or this piece of glass, it says, was to start a fire. If you, if you fast forward a little bit into early Roman times, Pliny the Elder also wrote about the use of a, a glass globe that was actually used to cauterize wounds. And so when I read that these were the first two instances that we can find of the use of a magnifying glass to actually start a fire, it made me feel really good. Because as a child, when I was on my sidewalk frying ants, Historically, I'm right in there. I was using the magnifying glass for the exact purposes that history shows. Well, maybe not with the ants, but at least uh, the heat component. Now, most of us, as we've grown up a little bit, have ceased to use magnifying glasses to fry ants on the sidewalk. Let's hope. But some of us get to a point where, boy, it sure is nice to have a magnifying glass in order to read some of the smaller text. This concept of this magnifying glass is also used in things like your reading glasses, magnifying glass course, microscopes, even, even telescopes used this kind of technology with this lens that was shaped in such a way as to magnify, to bring what was distant closer or make what was smaller bigger. Now, obviously, with modern technology, the use of electromagnets and highly polished mirrors, they don't use those. The Hubble Space Telescope isn't a series of, of, of magnifying glasses in a row. It, it's a lot different than that now. But the concept is the same as the magnifying glass that you find in your grandmother's bedside table. It hadn't changed much over the years. This morning, we're not going to try to burn ants, and we're not going to try to read fine print, but I do want to talk about magnifying. Would you join your hearts with me in prayer? Father God, as we, uh, as we look into your word today, as we discover your truth, I pray that you're going to make your will known to us and that we will be people, men and women and young people, whose words and lives magnify you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. If you remember the Christmas story, Mary had been visited by the angel Gabriel. And the purpose for the visit was to let her know that she had a child inside her. A child that was not there in the normal, normal sense of how a child gets in the womb. But this was God's child. And it was by a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And we find Mary shortly thereafter going to visit Elizabeth. It's probably maybe her first cousin, maybe second cousin. Anyway, she was kin 
And so she was going to visit Elizabeth. And in the process, she would, it would do a couple of things. First of all, it would get her out of the line of sight as she began to show in her pregnancy. Which in that time, because this was, it'd be kind of hard to explain, oh, no, no, this isn't Joseph's baby. This isn't so-and-so's baby. This is God's baby. That doesn't go over real well with most people. Okay, so the assumption would be that she had been uh, sexually active outside of marriage. And so removing herself from there, she began to show, would probably be a wise decision. Secondly, Elizabeth, her cousin, or along the lines, her kin per, uh, kinfolk, uh, would be further along in her pregnancy, and she would be there in order to help with the baby or to help with the pregnancy, help Elizabeth along. And so here's the a, here's a process. Mary's gone to visit Elizabeth. Now, what we read in God's Word is that when Mary, when Mary came in to see Elizabeth, that the child within Elizabeth kind of jumped for joy, was began to, to, to celebrate within Elizabeth's womb. And she was revealed by the Holy Spirit to her that Mary was carrying the Messiah. Mary was carrying the Christ child, which is probably a great relief to Mary because she didn't have to go in and explain why she was pregnant. But this whole process is, and, and, and it leads to where we want to be today, and that is what's called the Magnificat or Mary's song, and it's recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and I want to encourage you to turn there if you have your Bibles. You may want to jot a note or two down there. Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 46 through 55. And I'll put the words up on the screen here in a moment for you to see them. But Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. And here is what we read there. And this is after Elizabeth has, has recognized that Mary's carrying the Christ child. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. As we read this, this, this outpouring of Mary, my soul glorifies the Lord. That word glorifies can also be translated exalts or praises or proclaims the greatness of, or it may be translated in your, your version, magnifies. My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, all these are excellent translations, and they capture what that word means. But when we read the word magnify, what we think is that it, it makes something that is smaller, larger. And so when we hear my soul magnifies the Lord, are we to assume that we're making God bigger than he is? No. The actual word in the Greek uh, comes from the Greek megaluno, 
mega. Get that word, mega. We use the word megaphone. And that captures really what this word is saying. My soul is like a megaphone declaring God. That's what we want to have in our minds. Not so much the magnifying glass, making something larger than it is, but in this sense, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul is a megaphone declaring the greatness of my God. And and we want to discover what it is that Mary is magnifying about God this morning in this song that pours from her. Now, the first thing we need to note is this song is not just something external. For Mary, you'll notice, is something that is quite internal. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And this is important because in Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What does that say? That's saying that we can stand up and sing songs like we did this morning, and they have absolutely no meaning. We can stand up and sing at the top of our lungs, honoring God with our mouths, with our lips, with our tongues. But if our heart is not involved, if we're not doing it inwardly, then it has no meaning. It's empty. It's hollow. And so for Mary, what we're seeing from the very beginning is it's her soul. It is her spirit. It is her inmost being that is magnifying the Lord. It is here. This was her megaphone. It just came out of her mouth. If we want that, if we want to magnify the Lord, what can we learn from Mary? First of all, this. She magnifies a God who chooses the humble. She magnifies a God who chooses the humble. If you go back and you look at Mary and look at Joseph, they may not have been the people you and I would have picked to entrust with the Messiah. God didn't go to a palace and he didn't go to a temple or a synagogue. He went to a simple Jewish girl, humble, and entrusted to her and the man who would be her husband, the care of the Son of God. And so she magnifies God because she understands. She says, I'm blessed, but she's not saying I'm blessed because I'm so good. I'm blessed because God chose me. What else do we see here? She also magnifies a God who is mighty. Listen, if God shows up and he really rocks your world in some way and he lays a responsibility on you, he gives something to you that is so precious, so so monumental, you wonder, how could I ever accomplish this? How could I ever do this? What Mary says is, listen... I'm magnifying God. I'm I'm, I'm God's megaphone declaring that he's the mighty one. God can do anything. God spoke and brought all creation into being. And I can count on that. 
What else do we see? She magnifies a God who is holy. Now, this is cool because God is not just all-powerful, can do everything. God is also holy. He's completely pure and righteous. You and I, even on our best days, our motives are are twisted and and our our actions are, are tainted by sin and selfishness, but not so with God. Everything that he does is done in pure holiness. So we have a God who's all-powerful, who's mighty, but we also have a God who is holy. You've known perhaps strong people in your lives whose character was messed up. And strength without holiness is not always a good thing. What else do we see in this song of Mary? She magnifies a God who is also merciful. And so she's... Now, now this is cool because what we're seeing here is the character of God unfolding. A God who is the mighty one, a God who is the holy one, and a God who is merciful. Now, this is important for us. Do we want a God who's almighty? Yes. Do we want a God who is holy? Yes, but that could be a scary thing. If we have a God who's almighty and a God who's completely holy and you have us, we're in trouble. I want a God who's merciful. I want him to be almighty. I want him to be holy, but I want him to show mercy. I don't know what tradition that you were raised in. But in some traditions, it teaches that Mary herself was sinless. I don't believe that to be the case, and I'd have a hard time finding that, making that case biblically to you that, that she, was, she also was sinless. She declares the mercy of God. She was humble enough to recognize that she was really not worthy enough to carry the Christ child. And yet God had chosen her and was merciful to her. And in that, when she declares how blessed she is. Listen, your greatest blessing is not in anything that you've done. Your greatest blessing is what God has done for you that you didn't deserve. And that's why Mary is magnifying a God who is mighty, a God who is holy, a God who is merciful. She also magnifies a God who humbles the proud but lifts the humble. She did, there were were kings in palaces and priests in fine robes. And God came to none of them. And in fact, as we look at the life of Jesus, it was spent raising up the lowly and being critical of those who were hypocrites in positions of authority and who had great wealth. Just think of the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. Listen, if the rich young ruler came down the aisle of the church, we'd put him on the finance team. You'd be writing his name in as an elder. What Jesus said was, listen, because he's looking into the heart. But Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you sell it all, then come back 
And what Jesus did, in essence, was to take this person who rode in high and mighty, and he sent him out lowly. But then Jesus goes to tax collectors and the promiscuous, to generic sinners, and he brings in his mercy, his grace, his goodness, his love, and he begins to lift them up. She also magnifies a God who shows favor to the lowly. Jesus spent his time among the poor and the outcast. But she's looking into her own life and she's saying, I didn't deserve this. I've been shown favor. And she magnifies a God who remembers and fulfills his promises. God began to, he made promises to Abraham. And for the longest time, Abraham had to wander around and say, God, are you ever, are you ever gonna, are you ever gonna follow through? Are you ever gonna do this? He made promises all along the line that he would make a people for himself that were too numerous to count. Jesus came to be the fulfillment of that. And you and I are among the stars in the sky and the sands on the ground that Abraham was told would happen. And that is why when we get those images of heaven, there are myriads around the throne worshiping and praising. You and I will be among them. And no, you didn't deserve it. And you didn't earn it. And it wasn't because you were good enough or rich enough or right enough or lived in the right place or went to the right church. It's because God was merciful to you. God looked down into your existence and he was holy and he was mighty and he could have just wiped you off the earth. But instead, he was merciful. And he sent his son to us. The child within Mary's womb, the son of God, whose birth we celebrate this season, reflects the character of his father that was declared in Mary's song. And you and I can experience the thrill of hope this morning because we do not have to earn our salvation. I am so grateful for that. If I had earned my salvation, I'd never have it. You and I are helpless to save ourselves. But the book of Ephesians tells us that we were chosen in Christ. Chosen in Christ. God picked you out. God set you apart. We humbly receive God's gift by receiving God's Son. In fact, God's gift is His Son. We think of gifts, the gift as being, uh, you know, okay, get, I get to go to heaven. That's not the gift. That's the byproduct. 
The gift is a son in whom we get to have a, a, a relationship. We, we are co-heirs with Christ. And so we, we, we don't have to earn our salvation. We have a God who's just as mighty as the one that Mary declared in her song. And you and I can have confidence each and every moment of each and every day because nothing is impossible with God. If God has called you and set you apart for something, listen, God is able to make it happen. If it's God's will, then he will make the way. All that God calls us to do and every stand that God calls us to take, we can do it in his power. Did you read or see this week about the four teenage girls, Christians, who were given a choice to denounce their faith in Christ and become Muslim or to be killed? The girl said, we will not do it. We love Yeshua. We love Jesus. And they lost their heads. How can a person have the strength to stand up against that level of authority, that level of power, that level of evil. You only have that strength because you have a mighty God who in the moment gives you the strength you need. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We can have that thrill of hope this morning because we have a God who is purely and utterly holy. Now, the Roman emperors, they thought themselves God. Or at least they wanted to be treated as gods. And they had, listen, the Roman emperors had authority and power. Whatever they wanted to do, they could do without question. No matter what, it, if they just wanted somebody dead, they were dead. And so these, these Roman rulers who considered themselves God, they had power. They were mighty, but they were not holy. What we have is a God who is both mighty and holy. We also have a God who's merciful. If he gave us what we deserved, we'd all be lost. If he gave us what we deserved, we'd be separated from him forever. But Jesus took the punishment that was ours upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Sin's curse was on him. And God's mercy was poured out on us.
We have a God who will even the scales. One of the expressions that uh, I hear a lot when I am around children and teenagers is a simple expression, it's not fair. And my ready response is, well, duh. Is it written somewhere it's supposed to be fair? Hey, listen, you live long enough, you learn life's not fair. But hey, even David struggled with that. You'll go back and read the Psalms and David will say, hey, listen, God, I don't understand why the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. I don't understand it. And so maybe maybe the kids are in uh, a good company there. But we have a promise in this book that there's going to come a time when God evens the scale. There's going to come a time in this broken and fallen world full of evil and strife that God's going to say enough. And he's going to fix it all. The older I get, the more I pray, come, Lord Jesus. Because I want to see it fixed. I want to see this rampant evil wiped away and I know one day I will see that because there is a promise that has been given and that's the last thing I wanted to share with you this morning and that is that we have a God who's faithful to fulfill his promise he promised to send his son he sent his son he promised his son would be savior his son is savior and he promised that those who receive him would have eternal life And on that, I hang my hope. That promise will be fulfilled. We have a track record of God's faithfulness right here. So that we can have the confidence that the promise to take us home is true. If you're a believer this morning, let me ask you, what are you magnifying this Christmas time? The megaphone of your life, what is it declaring? The greatness of this gift, the greatness of this celebration? Or are you, from your heart, magnifying the Lord? From your soul, from your spirit, from deep within, is it a megaphone declaring the greatness of your God? Or are you experiencing Anxiety, busyness, fear, loneliness. The experience that we can have as a believer is for God to shift us off those things and to focus us on that which really matters. If you are in Christ you have cause to celebrate. If you are in Christ, you have reason to rejoice. If you are in Christ, you have a hope within you that cannot be dampened. It cannot be put out. It cannot be extinguished. And you can leave this place this morning with a thrill of hope. And your life, your circumstances may not be any different. And no, it's not fair. But that doesn't dampen your hope. It doesn't quench your joy. Because Jesus came to us 
to die for us so that you and I might belong to God forever. Now, if you're not a believer, you need to know about a God who's mighty. You need to know about a God who's holy. And you need to know about a God who's merciful. And he's ready this morning to pour out that mercy on you. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. But Jesus died so that it might be yours. He paid the price for you. How how do you step over that? How do you enter into that? It's really simple. You just quit pretending you got it all together. And that God thinks you're so cute and cuddly that he couldn't, you know, he can't stand not to have you in heaven with him. But you come recognizing that you're a sinner, that there's sin in your life, and that sin separates you from God because God's not going to allow that into his heaven. And that the only way that that sin can be dealt with is through what God has done for you through his son, Jesus Christ, who paid the full price on the cross. It is finished in order that those who believe in him, trust in him, cling to him, might have eternal life. And perhaps this morning, you need to walk away from that old life, to walk away from sin and self, and to embrace the Savior who's waiting to embrace you.